With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So tonight what we're going to be talking about is the anointing. The anointing. I've heard some people say that they don't know what it is, but they know what it's not. (laughs) Some people, you know, and I mean, that's in many ways a good way to describe it because the anointing itself is something that, that's very special that comes from God. You know, it's not easy to get. And I can say, I don't want to say it's not easy to lose, but when you lost it, you know that you lost something special that is in the Lord. I mean, not everybody becomes anointed to do a lot of the works of God. Now, some people believe that there are anointings that are all the same, but every anointing is different. Okay, the fullness of the true anointing, which is what comes by Jesus Christ, that's what you have Peter and the apostles. That's what we all seek for, you know, to have what Jesus had and what he did with it. But you can be anointed to do other things. You can be anointed to sing, anointed to preach the word. You can be anointed to do many things. And I think that in many ways it refers to Psalm chapter one when he says a man that is a tree that is planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth fruit in his season. And you know, his leaf shall not wither and everything he doeth, he prospereth. Why is that? Because you're connected to the river, you're connected to the water. You are attached to the true vine, which is Jesus Christ. And you know, a lot of people like to say, there are things like carnal Christians. Some people believe there are things like lazy Christians. There are things like timid Christians. I'm going to be honest with you. All it boils down to is, do they have an anointing or do they not? Do they have the spirit of God leading them in their lives or they don't? There is no in-between in this. And I know some people may disagree, but I'm going according to my experience and what I've even heard others with an anointing say. When you've got an anointing, it's almost like you're on cruise control. You know, there were many days I told Sarah after a study and other people like, Man, you know, I couldn't even think tonight. My mind wasn't right. I listened to the message later. It's because it wasn't my thoughts. What did God want me to do? Shut up so he can do the talking in me. He didn't want my thoughts involved. He wanted to take over. That's all a part of the anointing. The anointing sends you out with such boldness, man, when it comes to preach the word and tell people about Jesus that you can be a majority of one with the anointing. The anointing is something that even when you feel oppressed and beaten down, the anointing breaks that yoke. The anointing makes you victorious over sin, makes you victorious over your circumstances, things that people have trouble overcoming, like slothfulness and fear. The anointing is something that every Christian needs because when you have it, you've got God's favor. You've got a direct pipeline to him. And all you go is as an obedient vessel, allowing the Lord to lead you in everything you do. I've been on both sides of this. I've had anointings and I haven't had them. And the scariest thing is when they leave you. 
because you know that it's not God that's doing this, that now you've got to cook, cook up a good deal. You've got to scheme. You got to go and find paperwork to say what God was telling you through inspiration of the spirit. These are things that if we don't nurture that anointing and walk in it, that it can leave us. Okay, because just like the children of Israel thought their biggest issue was to be freed from the promise, I mean, from uh, Egypt. They thought that was it. But you see, they didn't recognize you've got to cross that Red Sea. You've got to wander in the wilderness. You've got to fight those giants and get in there and not just get the land, but keep the land. See, making it into the promised land wasn't the end game either. How faithful will you be to God in his land? That's the thing that we've got to be focused on and understand. That's what the anointing is all about. It's about walking with God, you know, obeying what God tells you to do. But sometimes we can get sidetracked. We can walk away from that. You know, we might have a relationship, but are we following the anointing? Because you see, God may have me doing this today, but tomorrow, man, it's a whole new ball game. I got something else lined up for you. But if you get comfortable in this, you know, your anointing can go away from you just like that. I mean, and it's not like the spirit of God doesn't, you know, try and tell us, hey, I need you to come with me. Let's do this. Let's do what we need to do. But sometimes we get lax. We get comfortable. We'll tell God that's enough for me right now. I'm happy with the relationship we have. But we got to understand that God's relationship is all about forward movement. He's taking you from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And even when you're in the promised land, you've got things to do. You've got instructions to obey. Because when they made it into the promised land, their problems didn't just go away. They became worshipers of Baal there. They began to follow after other tribes. They were supposed to wipe out the Amalekites and all these other groups. And every single one that, that looked like they were going to, they just stopped in their work. David stopped, uh, Joshua stopped. The devil somehow managed to take the fight out of them that they didn't fulfill the will of God. And this is a point that every Christian needs to come to is to have an anointing. I'm telling you without it, you're almost like you are, you're alive, but you know, that's just it. You're on life support, but you're not flowing and ebbing with the spirit like God wants us to. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, the anointing, the importance of the anointing, what the anointing will allow you to do and what it's like when you don't have it. Like I said, I speak from experience on being on both sides. You know what's that's amazing is I think when my first, you know, when I had the anointing younger or, or starting out in this, I didn't even speak that well. I didn't even know much of the Bible. But I was bold and courageous for Jesus Christ. I wanted souls saved. I'd be out there with men like 20 Jehovah Witnesses telling them the gospel. Muslim, it didn't matter. Bring them on. I want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want people to get saved. And the Spirit would give me the words to speak at that time to talk to people. But then, you know, you can get a little wise in the Bible. You think you got some information. You got some stuff. You think that you set up a plan that you can do things your way and set up your own schedule. And as you begin to rely on this, you start to lose this and you lose the connection that God wants you to have to do the things that he wants. What God wants is trust in you. But when we trust in our ability, we are dead. OK, because your abilities also tell you, I don't need to do that. I don't need to exactly obey right now. I got other stuff that I need to do. But you see, when you've got the anointing of God, 
man, you're on cruise control. You can say two or three words and people will get saved because, you know, you're obeying the spirit and what to do. And I think he's brought me to the place now where, you know, having an anointing and having an understanding why we study the word, but it doesn't guide you. The spirit does because God is teaching you how to be what he said, what he commands us to be. That's what the anointing is all about. Yes, Sarah. And on that, I know you mentioned it before a while back, but even when it came to you going out evangelizing mm-hmm. on, you know, on Wednesdays, there were times, and I can testify to this too, there were times that we would go out there and people would just walk, and it's not us, it's no. never, it was the Holy Spirit that was out there, it was like he was just grabbing people almost and bringing them up to us, mm-hmm. because we would just be out there, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ, do you need prayer, people would just say yes, there was mm-hmm. hardly any resistance. But on those days, and I I can only testify for myself when I had not fasted or prayed enough, it was almost like you were, it was almost like pulling teeth to mm-hmm. get people to just stop. It was almost right. like they didn't even see you. Right. You didn't even exist. Yeah. And no matter what point you brought up, it didn't matter because it's not about what you know, it's who you know. Exactly. And the time that you spend with the Lord, man, it'll benefit us greatly. So an anointing is God's favor. It's to be appointed to do the things that God wants you to do. And I remember even with my first anointing, I thought that I was, you know, not ready. Even though I prayed, even though the Lord commanded me to fast for 40 days, and I did, but I didn't see nothing happening, you know, at first. You know, I just went to New York, you know, I, I went and did a sermon there. Then we came back, we had our first conference, and Sarah and I were just sitting in Hometown Buffet, and I said, you know what? I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. I'm like, man, where's the power? See, that's how you start thinking. If you got an anointing, somehow you're supposed to wave your hand and 30 rows are supposed to fall back. But that's not how it goes. Even with an anointing, you've got to learn to walk in it and obey God. Okay, because the way um, the Bible describes the anointing, it's kind of like a loan. It's kind of like you get something on credit, meaning that the spirit doesn't belong to you. The spirit, you belong to the spirit and he operates through you. So it's not something where you could say, well, I do have the gift of healing, so I'm going to go down and try and heal somebody without the anointing, or even if you've got it, if you haven't been commanded of it, try it and see what happens. You've got to have God guide you to do the things that you're called to do. But some of my biggest problems began after having an anointing, but while we were sitting in that restaurant, we were done talking about that. We went into something else. 30 minutes later, a man walks in like a church-going man, all black guy. Some people probably think they were, you know, it's probably him. No, but there was a bald black guy that just came in, like a little Pentecostal preacher. He walked up and said, hey, brother, I just want to, he said, I don't mean to interrupt. Can I tell you something? And I was like, you know, yeah. He said, I just want you to know I can see the anointing all over you. He said, why don't you go ahead and do what God told you to do? Never saw the man. Man wasn't even in the restaurant when we were talking, but that was God confirming, yes, what I told you to do get on it and do. So when God anoints you to do something, God's going to see to it that you do it. I'll tell you another amazing thing about the anointing. Many days I made mistakes up here. Many days I didn't know what to do. I know I wasn't the best to listen to all my yelling and screaming and, you know, everything else and running over stuff. But you know what? When people tried to move me from it, God saw to it that I remained right where I was. I didn't have to be the best. He was, he called me to do it. And that's what I have to do. But that's what the anointing is all about. It's God's favor. And it would do every Christian some good 
to be able to have it. Ask God for an anointing. Ask him for something that you can be faithful to him for because that's what God desires for his people, okay? So let's get right in. I wanna pray and then we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God, Lord. We thank you for this day that you've given us. And we just ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my sisters and brothers online and, and before us, Lord, that we have yet another day to be partakers in your word, to be edified by your spirit, that we may choose life and not death. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you send the Holy Ghost, that you send your spirit of teaching, that you send your holy anointing, that people may understand the importance of an anointing. Teach us your word, Lord, and let no flesh be glorified, Lord. Let no man's heart be heard in this, Lord. This is way too important. This is about your people understanding that they can reap the benefits of every good thing that you told us that we could have. This is the answer, Lord, to all of our problems. This is what we need for Christ in us to be the hope of glory. Whatever we struggle with, whatever we go through, Lord, we know that your anointing is what takes care of it all. And we just ask in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, that the eyes, the ears, and the hearts and the understanding of those will be open, Lord, that they may know that our need for you is greater than any other time, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, for you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right in. I wanna get started with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter one, and let's begin in verse 18, and we're also gonna hear a clip of David Wilkerson that speaks on the anointing. Why it's so important that we have an anointing. It's a beautiful thing of God. That's when you really cease from your own works. Second Corinthians one, and let's look at verse 18. Oh man. Second Corinthians one, let's look at verse 18. And it says, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea or nay. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was uh, preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, and not yea and, and not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto glory of God by us. Now he which established or establisheth us uh, with you in Christ and hath anointed us in God, 
who have also sealed us and given the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. So as you can see, Jesus Christ being preached is the only thing that the Holy Spirit will rest on. Our anointing comes from God. So that means that even though it comes from God, it must always remain with God. There are so many times you can be proud of your accomplishments and things that are done through the spirit that you forget all about God himself and you begin to try and nurture the gift when it's all about staying connected to the vine that you originally had, which is Jesus. But he tells them here um, in verse 22, he says, who have also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that ye, uh, we have dominion uh, over your faith, uh, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So as you can see, Paul knows that he's not a Lord over God's inheritance. It's not him to just jump and rule over people, but the reason he's bringing this forward is because he wants them to understand that, hey, we're just here to help, but it still goes down with, your faith in the Lord. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to believe on him no matter what. But sometimes we can get so caught up with personalities that you know we just flock to whatever the pastor says, but we're not staying connected to who sealed us, to who we must bear fruit to. Because some people will say, well, it don't take all that to be a Christian you know, for some of the stuff you're saying, but I wanna say to them, who told you that that's all it took? That's your standard. If God told you that, then that's great. But what I want is what God has for me. And it's too many Christians that spend their time looking at other Christians and thinking that's what a Christian is supposed to be when you don't know what God called his call is for your life. This happens all the time. People just get so caught up that they, well, I don't need to do that. Why don't you? My pastor don't do it. <laughs> that's your pastor. What is the word of God says? What is the spirit leading you to do today? These are areas where we need to stay connected with him and not separated. Let's go to Genesis chapter two, because I believe the anointing can be best described in this. And you're going to see this play out many times in this teaching tonight. Genesis chapter two. Thank you, Lord. All right. Let's look at verse eight. This is Genesis two. Look at verse eight, guys. And it says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put a man whom he had formed. He put the man he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to the water, I mean, to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Now, this is interesting because if you even look at the fact that, let's just say God we know is our source of life. The Bible speaks of that river. If we stay connected to it, that we will be fruitful. But coming forth from God or from this place of Eden, that there is a river that goes into the garden to water it for every tree, for every plant, 
everything that's in there and it breaks off into four. You know what's amazing about this? You can even look at the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world, okay, to bring forth life to us. And that work is separated in four gospels. I mean, that's pretty awesome to think about how you got four gospels that are actually uh, talking about what the life of Jesus Christ is and thank God for him. So it says in verse um, 11, it says, the name of the first is Pison. That is it, which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. What does Pison mean? You guys remember a couple of years ago, we did a teaching on the four rivers of the Garden of Eden. Pison means increase. Okay, that's what the first river is. That's what every believer gets when we have the Holy Spirit of God. When God gives us that, we have an increase. And then it says, look at verse 12, and the gold of that land is good. There is delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Jehan. All right, and the same is it that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. Now, what does Jehan mean? Jihan means bursting forth. This is kind of like what you would call full to the brim, full of the spirit, saturated in the anointing, okay? So that means bursting forth. So it's not good enough for us that we just get an increase. What God wants us to be is full. Like David says, my cup runneth over. Look at verse 14. And the name of the third river is Hedekel. That's the Tigris River today. That is, uh, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. What does Hedekel mean? It means dashing or, or, um, or targeting, you know, or running or dashing. What does that mean? Going towards your purpose. This is where we can get stuck at times as Christians because I know I got baptized in water and I received the Holy Spirit, but now I got baptized in the Spirit. Now I'm bursting forth. Now what? You see, this is what has to come next is the, the, uh, the rapid or dashing, meaning heading toward your purpose, being led in the way that the spirit wants you to go. Then it says the fourth, uh, and it says, uh, which goeth forth to the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. What does Euphrates mean? Euphrates means fruitfulness. So when we are, when we receive the increase of God, we're supposed to get full to the place to where we are bursting forth. And then when we're bursting forth, the next stage for you and I is to dash or dart towards your purpose, rapid towards your purpose. What is that term? Being quickened in the spirit, being instant, as Paul says, that we may go forward to do what the Lord says. And then lastly, you've got Euphrates, which means fruitfulness. What keeps us from being fruitful, I think in many ways is we're not following the Lord as he says. I know some people say, well, I've been full. Yeah, but are you full today? Remember the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Five kept oil in their land. What did the foolish do? They thought that they didn't need it. So you see, when you're dealing with that type of situation, they started from being full. They were virgins. But by the time Jesus Christ came, they were down to nothing. So you see, it's up to us to be able to keep the increase and allow ourselves to burst forth and be constantly used of the spirit of God so that we can become fruitful. Yes, this comes in stages, but it's not going to come at the same time and speed for everybody. For everybody, it's those who consider this a true treasure. What does it say in Matthew 13? 
when a man findeth the kingdom of God, he findeth the pearl. And it says he sells everything that he has that he may gain that treasure. It's all about who Jesus Christ is to us, you know, and, and I'm not going to say the sooner we get to it, but when we recognize it and we allow ourselves to be led by the Lord, who we marry, where we go, what we do, where we work, man, you're talking about God working heavily for you. Why? Because you're obedient. You're, you're not even choosing what you want. You're asking the Lord, what should I do? Too many times in our lives, I think that we incorporate the old world with the new. I've been guilty of this many times. There are many things I thought, well, Lord, you know, I've done this all my life. So, you know, this is a part of the anointing. This is part of the plan. The Lord is like, that was yesterday's plan. I mean, this is a new deal, okay? This is being led by the spirit. You've never been on this side of things. So now that we're going into the promised land, you need a guide, okay? And I'm gonna take you through the wilderness and show you everything that you need, get rid of every idol that bothers me. And we're gonna go into the promised land and we're gonna learn how to inherit and keep the land. Why? So that we can be fruitful. That's what this whole thing is about concerning the anointing. And you guys are gonna see this play out many times in this teaching. Let's go to Exodus chapter two. I wanna knock out some key points before we get into the David Wilkerson teaching. But look at Exodus chapter two. Exodus chapter two. And I wanna read it from here because I wanna make some points where, um, you know, we can point out the Lord is actually telling us a lot concerning this. Uh, let's see. Okay, so that's Exodus two. And then we're gonna look at verse uh, 11. Let's go to Exodus two, look at verse 11. And it says, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, oh, one of his brethren. Now, you'd have to imagine that's not the first time Moses has been outside, okay? That's not the first time ever in his life that he walked outside after 40 years. I'm sure he's been out there many a times, and this is not the first time he's seen this incident. What the Lord has revealed to me concerning this with Moses, he had become of age. Remember when the Bible tells us that Jesus had come had become of age, he began his ministry? When it talks about he became 30 years of age and he headed straight for that Jordan River towards his purpose to get baptized, filled, and do what you know the Father called him to do. But Moses, it says when he was grown, he's out there and he's watching an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. It's almost like it's the first time his heart really began to grasp what Egypt was all about. When does this occur to us? When God's trying to get your attention? What is God trying to do to you and I? Get us to see the world for what it is. Why? Because he's trying to set you free from it. So this happens in many cases where you get out in the world and all of a sudden getting drunk ain't fun anymore. Getting high don't feel the same way. You know, you heard so many smooth talking dudes say stuff to you and women and all that. You know what? I'm just I'm feeling it. You know, it's like the same old story. So you can say that this is where Moses came to the end of himself. Now he's watching a Hebrew 
being smitten uh, by, uh, by an Egyptian. It, it was always going on. You see what I'm saying? But this is the first time he got a glimpse of, you know what? Egypt is evil. <laughs> Look at verse 12. So he says, and he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said uh, to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses appeared and said, surely this thing is known. So Moses tried to help a Hebrew. And you got Hebrews coming up to him, accusing him of being something that he wasn't. This is typical when preaching the gospel. So anyway, look at uh, verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the word for Midian means strife. Okay, so he went into the land of strife, you can pretty much call this his wilderness. And this is where he sat down by a well. It says in verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the trough, um, filled the trough to water, uh, to water their father's flock. You wanna know something interesting about this? These seven daughters that are in the wilderness that are um, uh, feeding their father's flock. Okay, now if you look up the word trough, this is H7298. That word for trough is, it says hollow or like a lock of hair, meaning dubious. So as you can see, we know what a trough is that feeds animals, but however this trough is, it's got something to do with, you know, locks. So when you look at this sort of thing, this will tell you that these women were a part of what? The seven spirits of God, which are what? An anointing. Notice that Moses met them in the wilderness. And what are those women doing? They are feeding their father's flock. You guys are gonna find out why this is important. So um, look at verse 17. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now notice, while these women were actually doing the will of their father by feeding the flock, there were some shepherds that came in and tried to drive them away. Don't let this shoot by you because this story isn't being told for nothing. There are many times that people are honest and sincere and they come before the Lord and they wanna know Jesus Christ up close and personal. But then there comes a point where they become religious and you got a lot of preachers and ministers and people telling them, that's not the way you do it. You do it like this. But as you can see, Moses helped him out, you know, and continue to feed the flock. In many ways right here, for, the, for Moses stepping in, Moses is a type of Christ because he helped the seven daughters to do the work of the father. Look at uh, verse 18. And when they came to Ruel, that word for Ruel means friend of God. So when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, how is it that you are come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and um, also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. And then it says in verse 20, so in other words, I don't wanna get this complicated because I really do wanna make some points, but 
In other words, Moses helped the will of God. Moses saw the value in those seven daughters feeding their father's flock. Don't let that chew by you. A lot of people don't have a lot of respect for an anointing today. But look at verse 20. And he said unto his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that ye may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. Now, I don't know for sure if this is true, but man, it's like when the Holy Ghost starts to reveal things to you, Zipporah means bird, okay? That's what Zipporah means. The, the man gave Moses his daughter, whose name was Zipporah, meaning bird. Now, I'm looking at this, like not that this is, but this is kind of symbolic for a type of Holy Spirit, a type of dove, okay, that he's married to now. And it says, and she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, uh, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. So let's skip forward to chapter three. But you see the point there? Moses helped the seven women and by reward of their father, they gave Moses, um, you know, uh, Zipporah, which means bird, which I think the Lord is revealing that it's a type of Holy Spirit, okay? When you honor what God wants, God will stamp his approval upon you. So look at Exodus three, look at verse one. It says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even unto Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Now I want us to understand too God's timing here because Moses just slew an Egyptian because of what the Egyptian did. He's full grown now, he flees. He meets uh, Jethro or whoever the father is, Ruel, and you know now he's married. But now that he's taking care of her father's flock, here comes the Lord to say, "Hey Moses!" And notice he left just before the strife got really bad with the children of Israel. He cut out just before then. So anyway, it says, and Moses said, uh, "I will now turn aside and see this great sight, uh, which the bush is not. Why the bush is not burned?" And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know neither, I mean, for I know there are sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land, unto a good land, and a large 
and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and of the Hittites and the, and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So the Lord is making clear here, Moses, you may not be here to see what's going on, but I allowed you to escape and to get free because I've got an assignment for you. As long as Moses was a partaker in Egypt, he could not have been one to be chosen to flee the children of Israel. When Moses' eyes were open that the world was his enemy and what they do to the people of God, you know, it was easy for him to defend the Lord and then he had to flee for his life. You find this in many cases, even when Jesus himself was crucified outside of the city. John the Baptist, his ministry began where? In the wilderness. He wasn't tied to the world. And because of that, God was able to use him. Now, I know the question may be swirling around. Okay, so if I have an anointing, will I not have a place to work? Hey, that determines to God. If God wants you to work somewhere to have his will done, then so be it. But if God wants you someplace else, obey the anointing and go is what God tells you to do. But anyway, exactly. And Moses went out into the wilderness with nothing. Man, came back with a wife, got his father's flock. He's employed. And now he's about to get the full assignment of what God called him to do. He took him all the way out there that he may meet the Lord. And now this is the first time in Moses' life he's got purpose. So anyway, he says, look at verse 11. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is typical for someone that's about to receive an anointing because you can question God, why me? I'm no better than anybody else. Ain't nothing special about me. It's got nothing to do with that. God's calling you because he's intending to use a willing vessel. So it says in verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So God made clear, hey, Moses, you're going to deliver my people. Look at verse 13. And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers have sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what is his name? Or what shall I say unto them? Now, Moses is asking a legit question because Moses is feeling like in many ways, you know, who am I? that I can go forward and tell people, who should I say sent me? Look at verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. So he made clear, my name's not important. I am who I am. You just obey me, Moses, and these people are gonna find out who the true God is. I'm telling you with my anointing, when I follow the Lord fully, when I didn't even know, man, am I even qualified to even talk about the gospel or anything like that? Man, God confirmed and did everything he needed to because I was putting my trust in him. 
the worst thing any minister, pastor, any anointed Christian can do is put your trust in self. Moses is in the perfect place to be used of God. One, because he sees himself as nothing, okay? And two, God is calling him to do the work. But when you think you're some great one, you'll never do what God says. Look at 15, and God said moreover unto Moses, thou shalt, uh, thus thou, Thus, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. Uh, this is my, I mean, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites into a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay. So we know now that even though Moses has received instruction of God, he's got God's approval to go in there and win souls. Notice Egypt wasn't going to be his only issue. He was going to have to take them into a land where these giant tribes dwelt. So that was going to take real faith and trusting and believing in God. But God's only purpose wasn't for Moses to free them from Egypt. God's purpose was for Moses to fulfill the journey that God called him to. Moses didn't know along this journey it was going to take 40 years. He didn't know they were going to be swirling around in the wilderness and doing all that. He didn't know that he wasn't going to be the one to get into the land because his mission was only going to go but so far. But you see, this is a part of the anointing. You go along for the ride. You let God guide you on what you need to do. And that's one thing the Spirit of God will do is make you not conscious of you, but conscious of God. If you're conscious of you, you cannot serve the Lord. And that's why the anointing itself makes you conscious of God. You are led by the Lord to do the will of the Lord. So I don't need to go any further into this. You guys know that Moses brought them out of the land, but you see that was the call upon his life. But he first had to get rid of Egypt and spend 40 years in, to get Egypt out of him, then to return to get the children of Israel out. This reminds me of a, a scripture that Jesus says about sanctifying himself that he could sanctify others. You see a big part of the anointing is this, we've got to get sanctified. We've got to, if we're bound in chains, we can't set other people free. We've got to be set free and allow God to work in us so that we can do the will of God. That's what this is about because there's nothing more precious than an anointing. Let's get another example of this because I wanna run through these and then I wanna hear that clip of David Wilkerson. Let's go to Judges chapter 16, look at verse 13. Now remember by the trough, you know, if you look up what trough means, it can mean lock of hair, and it can also mean, you know, what they uh, animals drink out of. Look at Judges 16. No, I mean, I just think it means like a lot. It could be like a braid or, you know, whatever. A truck with a lot of hair. That's true, too. So, but yeah, but isn't it funny how if you look at Samson in Judges 16, that Samson is a type of church. You know, we've talked about that before. 
And what did that church have? Seven lots upon his head, <laughs> you know? So this is um, Judges uh, 16, look at verse 13. And Delilah said unto Samson, hitherto thou hast mocked me and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, if thou weavest the seven locks of my head with a web. So you know that Samson is continuing to lie to her, but we know that that hair is Samson's anointing. Was it in the hair itself? No, it's what the hair represented, the seven spirits of God, which is the anointing, which comes by the Holy Spirit. And she fastened it with a pen and said unto him, uh, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awake out of his sleep and went away with the pen of the beam and with the web. So we know that that wasn't Samson's um, weakness, but she said, what can I do? Where's your strength that I may bind you? So do you understand if that seven locks, if those seven locks mean the anointing, that you and I without it are bound? Without the anointing, we are bound. She says that you might be weak, that I may bind you. So without an anointing, guys, we're bound. And that's what she's looking for. That's why we can only go but so far. Look at verse 15. And she said unto him, how canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. I want you guys to understand something. Delilah is a type of world. The world comes upon you and I subtly. We're not born cursed and fornicating right out of the crib. We're not born homosexuals and murderers and everything else. It's a slow daily grind with what we come into contact with that slowly changes us from innocence and ignorance to evil and you know mischief and everything else that you wanna be a part of. So it says that she pressed Samson daily with her words, so much so until his soul was vexed unto death. Hey, Brother Kevin, but you see, that's how the world works on us daily, every single day, as we are involved in the world, trying to follow the Lord, trying to keep our minds on heavenly things. There's the world just pecking and a poking, <laughs> trying to work its way in to break you down slowly. So he was vexed unto death. Then it says in verse 17 that he told her all his heart. So what did he do when he told her all his heart? He committed his heart to Delilah. He gave his heart to the world. He was no longer fully serving God. He gave her his heart. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why Jesus told them, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Be heavenly minded. You know, um, set your affections on things above because when they're down here, you can't receive an anointing if you are bound, okay? We're gonna get into this. I promise this is gonna make sense. So it says in verse uh, 17, he told her all his heart and said unto her, there have not come a razor upon my head, but I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaken, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And you see, if we lose our anointing, our connection to God, our purpose for what we are called to do and being led by the spirit of God, we will be just like any other man. And when you look at the world today and you look at a lot of the church and everything going on, 
you can't find a difference because you know what we need? An anointing. Look at verse 18. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, come this once, come up this once, for he hath shewed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees and she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him and his strength went from him. So as you can see, without that anointing, Samson was doomed. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. So when you lose the anointing, you lose, I'm not gonna say God's grace, you don't lose his mercy, but you lose the connection and the purpose to why you were called. I know what that is, man. I mean, there were times that I did some foolish things in ministry, man, not praying, not spending time with God. And I'll get up here and I mean, be dead. And I know I'm dead. And I wish there was a commercial that we could go to. But I'm like calling like, Lord, you know, I mean, like, give me inspiration like you used to. And I'm reading the words and they don't mean a thing to me. I'm just reading. They're just words on the page because that connection's gone. So then you try and pray and do all these things to get closer to God. And man, you don't feel it. It's like something is missing. Now I'm striving to do what once came easy. Samson destroyed his enemies when he was in battle with them. I mean, there was no competition. They weren't holding him down and he was using all his strength to get free. I mean, Samson annihilated his enemies. When you've got the anointing of God, you annihilate your enemies. I don't care what demons you're dealing with, what you need to cast out, whatever sickness is before you that someone has, if God commands you, that person will be set free because of the anointing. Like I said, I wouldn't have believed it either. But during the time of my anointing that God had put upon me, I believed that anything can be done. I laid hands on people in Jesus name and people were healed of things that were going on. So you would ask yourself, if God's doing that kind of work through you, why would you wanna go back to where you are when you see the rewards of what's playing out here? Your life is actually making sense. Your life is actually trying to help others to become whole, to put their trust in Christ. Why would you go from that to go back to the world and become a normal man? But you see, this is what Samson didn't understand which is why his anointing was taken from him. Man, so anyway, he says, um, she made him sleep. She clipped his locks. Samson wanted to go out and fight. The Lord's not with him. Look at verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters and brass. And he did grind in the prison house. That's what happens when you don't have the anointing, when you don't have God's spirit, you can't see. And you will be down bound with fetters, okay? You are bound, you're bound. What are the fetters? Fetters are like sin. What is brass? Brass is a type of flesh and you're going around in religion, bound in the prison house, going throughout your daily life, no purpose, no connection with God. Hey, I speak from experience. Look at verse 22. How be it the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. So you guys know the story here. Samson receives his anointing again because Samson said, Lord, 
if, if you're going to use me in this last time, I only got one wish is that I can serve you in revenge on my enemies, okay, who put out my eyes. I don't even want to live. I just want to serve you. God granted his wish. His strength returned. And this is a, a type of sign of the latter reign of the end times. God's not done with his church. But we can safely say our eyes are put out. We're covered with fetters and brass. And we are down in the prison house grinding at the mill. We've got to be set free because that's what God wants for his people. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 10. And uh, I just wanted to make a connection. We talked about Genesis 2 8 and uh, the four rivers and not filling up for the anointing. Mm -hmm. And um, the wife, the five virgins who also had to be prepared, mm -hmm. filling themselves up. Mm -hmm. When you don't fill yourself up, it's almost like you're in a drought, like you're super weak. Mm -hmm. um, like if you think of a dried up, Weed that has been in the sun all day, and you go and you grab it, it'll fall apart. Mm -hmm. That's what it kind of feels like because mm -hmm. you don't have that outpouring of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. keeping you strong, that supernatural strength that gives you, you know, uh, understanding beyond your own because it is strictly mm -hmm. on your own, not you. Not it is. It is. You've cool. got boldness and confidence towards the Lord when you really want to serve him and do what he says, you know, and that's what God wants us to keep, that we don't lose this. So look at Isaiah 10, look at verse 20. Now, you know, they're talking about the Assyrian here. We got a teaching coming up on them. The Assyrian was a type of antichrist, which the kings of Assyria tried to dominate Israel. And, and God allowed the Assyrians to do this for one purpose. You know what it was? because Israel wouldn't listen to the Lord. The same problem we got with the church today. Why is our oppressor over us? Why are they daring you to speak up about homosexuality in the workplace? How did it turn from the church being feared and the man in the pulpit, what he said being valid, to he being a hireling and not telling anybody about what they need to know? Because they have taken their eyes off of the Lord. And when you wanna tell people that in order to reach the world, we gotta act like them, you know what you are? You're Samson giving Delilah your heart. Okay, so when you give your heart to Delilah, she'll make you fall asleep on her knees and your anointing will be clipped and you will be just like any other man. Yes, Sarah? And the devil is very subtle with that because, I mean, we can kind of pinpoint when it started happening, maybe around the 60s or, or the 70s, mm -hmm. but the 90s is where it really took off. Mm -hmm. The whole kind of new age movement mm -hmm. made its way into the church. And I think that's really when the devil said, I've got to get inside the church mm -hmm. to affect it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like that cancerous seed. Once it's in there and no one sees it, because it was almost like there was a complete 180 change from, you know, the, the hot on fire pastors, the, the men that were, you know, really talking about the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It was like that complete change just, you, you almost could see it. It was like the anointing started going off and it was like the devil was picking them off like flies. Mm -hmm. And now it's just mm -hmm. like you're down to a very, very, very small number mm -hmm. of individuals who really speak out and keep the anointing off. That's why when you pray and you find yourself really getting into your prayers, you find yourself praying 30, 40 minutes, whatever, and enjoying your time with the Lord, keep that fresh. 
okay? Because you ever realize when you stop for a while, you start giving the Lord, all right, I'll give you 20 minutes. Then what, what happens? You don't go back up. You go from 20 to 15, 15 to 10. Then all of a sudden, as long as I pray from my heart within five minutes or two minutes, that's good enough. That's what the devil can convince you of. And then before you know it, I can't pray beyond 10 minutes without truly struggling. Because what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to fall asleep in the lap of a harlot. You've got to keep your connection with the Lord strong. Can there be times you pray with, you know, short periods of time and let the Lord work? Absolutely. But when you find it becoming a habit, when that's all you want to give the Lord, when you begin to max out and you're like, man, I don't even know what to say. And I'm not going to stay down because I'm hungry. You see, when you get to that place, man, that's a time to worry because you're not giving God something is happening. It's not just your imagination. It's not that the Lord and I will pick it up tomorrow. Something is wrong with the relationship. You want to say something? Yeah, it is a relationship. And any relationship that we have or we love somebody, we want to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. So that's a big red flag if you are mm -hmm. enjoying your, your time with God or even you're studying. There's something that's trying to put a wedge between you and him. Mm -hmm. So pray through that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And you a lot of people. And we got to pray not only, especially not just for ourselves, but for other people in the churches and people in positions of leadership too, mm -hmm. because they're going after them as well. And we need everybody that's right. to be speaking out. Amen. Look at Isaiah 10, look at verse 20. It says, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such are as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. So at this time, they were bound under the Assyrians. And some people could say the Assyrians were some really wicked people. But is that the truth? Even if they were wicked, how did they become your oppressor? You know why? You gave your heart to them. Okay, so it ain't just the Assyrians' fault. What about the Egyptians? What about the Babylonians? What about the Persians? What about the Romans and the Greeks? You see, you will be oppressed when you don't allow God to become your head. And that's what's happening to the world today, to the church. Look at verse 21. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. But though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return of the consumption, decreed shall overflow with righteousness. So as you can see, there's going to come a point where the remnant of God, even though they're numbered as the sand of the sea, even though you see a lot of people in church, everybody's not saved. Jesus says that it's a straight gate and a narrow way, and few there be that find it. You know why? Because when you bring up things like an anointing, people will tell you, oh man, don't take all that. You're complicating matters. Hey man, all I know is this. <laughs> Israel, I mean, or, or uh, the promised land is north and that's where I'm headed. You can't, if, if people wanna get off at their stop and you can't convince them to go, hey man, that's your stop. That don't mean it has to be mine. I'm gonna get all of what God wants me to get. So he says, There'll come a time when that remnant shall con shall return to um return the consumption decree, and it shall overflow with righteousness. So what's happening? God ain't just going to give them the increase. They are going to burst forth with the righteousness of God. Look at verse twenty three. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption 
even determined in the midst of all the land. Uh, therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. That's a capital A. So he's telling them, even though this guy is oppressing you, this is a type of antichrist, a type of Satan. He says, he shall smite thee with the rod and lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. So as you can see, why after the manner of Egypt? Because Egypt represented the world. Egypt was one of the first antichrist powers in the world. And as you can see, that spirit just travels. As, as long as you don't wanna serve the Lord and be set free to serve him, you're gonna have an oppressor different each time and you're gonna be bound. So he says he's gonna come against you just after the same manner of Egypt, put hard bondage on you. This is why when you got people wanting to serve the Lord and do what the Lord says, oh, your kids are acting up. This is going on. Your husband went crazy. Now your boss wants to fire you. These things will now occur because they're trying to stop you from getting across that water. Verse 25 says, um, for yet a very little while and the indignation shall cease and mine anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb or Horeb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. So as you can see, just like Moses stood up for the Lord, you know, and did that, God is gonna have his anointed ones too that are gonna bring the fight to the devil and do everything. What did that rod represent? God's authority. Look at verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. You must have the anointing. When Jesus says whom the son is set free is free indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He's not just speaking of you knowing what the word says. Are we living it? Are we desiring it? You see who he makes free, who we allow. I mean, if we allow him to make us free, he's gonna set you free from a lot. And that's why I'm trying to tell people, don't relate your Christian experience to other people. Some people may see all some Christians do is go to church. Some feed the homeless, some go out and minister. Don't let that be your experience because you don't know what God is gonna set you from next. I mean, he'll surprise you. Lord, you want me to go overseas? So what am I supposed to do about my house? That ain't really my problem. All I know is I'm calling you to take care of you and I need you to do something for me. That's why Jesus told his disciples when he was their comforter, what did he tell them? Don't take a purse, don't take staffs, don't take shoes, don't bring robes, don't bring anything, why? because the workman is worthy of his hire. With the anointing, the workman is worthy of his hire. I can promise you guys that this is true. I remember many days I didn't have the money. Many days I didn't know if we would go on or what we would do, only to pray to the Lord, to have the Lord send it to me throughout the night or the next day. When you are in the will of what God wants you to do and that anointing is upon you, the yoke that is on you will be broken because you don't need that yoke to carry you. You don't need that yoke to guide you. You are set free in Jesus Christ to do the works of Christ. Now they used to say, Pharaoh let my people go. 
Now it's people let Pharaoh go because Pharaoh is meant, God has made it possible. Well, all we gotta do is draw close to him and trust him. But you see, do we wanna be free with the Lord? Because free with the Lord don't sound like a lot of fun when we got worldly minds. Because I mean like, man, now what? You know, what am I gonna do? I'm so used to doing it my way. But you see, when God sets you free, you don't know where he's gonna send you. And you know what? When you really be in him, it doesn't matter. And I'm telling you, early in this thing with me, I received anointings and got things I didn't understand. But one thing I did not do was stay obedient. Because of that, things became hard. Now, yes, the Lord has brought things back and he's worked with me and he's done things. But where could I have been by now? What could he have done with me if I was just obedient? But you see, it takes the fruit of faith to be able to follow God. That's why we got to grow these fruit. And we don't go until we're ready, until we're sent, but you gotta stay connected. There's no fruit that won't that will grow in its season if it doesn't stay connected to the vine. That's what the anointing is all about. The yoke of the enemy will be broken. Now you know why when Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil was trying to show him all this different stuff about, you know, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms in a moment in time. I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Man, with the anointing, all that, that mess don't even mean nothing to me. All right, all I know is what the Father's called me to do. We gotta get that yoke off our neck. It's not what we can do in ourselves, but do we even desire to be free? Look at Isaiah 11, look at verse one. You gotta wanna be free. Moses didn't like what was going on with that Egyptian. But you see, that might be part of our issue. And I'm speaking of us as a whole is because we're not of age. And that's not an insult to anybody. The Bible says when I was a child, I thought as a child, I lived as a child, I did all these things as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's something that happens to us with time. Jesus waited till he was 30 years old to go. You would have to say, if he's a son of God, why ain't he go before? I mean, it's not like the devil could have done anything to you, but you see, he had been around the world already once and, and 30 was the age that he called. It says he came of age. That 30 was what God wanted to do and use him. And he was used and he never looked back. He was Mary and Joseph's little boy. Well, you know, Joseph was a stepfather, but you know, when he went through that water, man, and that spirit fell on him and he went up straightway out of the water and the father, the spirit immediately led him into the wilderness. And forget it, it was game on from there. And they said, Jesus, your mother and your brethren are here to see you. He said, who is my mother and who are my brethren? Then he stretched forth his hands to the apostles. And he said, the same that do the will of my father is my mother, my sister and brethren. But you've got to come of age. You've got to desire God. You've got to be one with him so that he can move you. Jeremiah was a young man being used of the Lord. So it's up to God and what he does but will we be obedient to receive that anointing to do what God calls us to? Even make nobody feel bad, man. This is about receiving all that you can get in the true and living God. Look at Isaiah 11, look at verse one. It says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We know that this is Jesus. That's one lock. And the spirit of wisdom, that's two. And understanding, that's three. 
the spirit of counsel, that's four, and might, that's five, the spirit of knowledge, that's six, and the fear of the Lord, which we got a teaching coming up on very soon, is number seven. We all like to talk about the love of the Lord, but what about the fear of the Lord? Because the Bible tells us that that is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. I'll tell you another thing with an anointing. You become so conscious of God, you are afraid to do something wrong with him because he becomes that real to you. I'm not talking about being petrified, but you know the Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We should be that conscious of God that, Lord, I don't want to do anything contrary to what you command me if I belong to you. Yes, Sarah. It's just like realizing because he does work with us where we are, but the greater responsibility he gives us, the more is required. Just mm -hmm. like with anything, you work at a job mm -hmm. and you move up within the job and they, you know, they're going to put more responsibility on you because they think at that point you know better. Mm -hmm. So if you make a mistake in this, that's something that a rookie would do, then you know, why are you in this position and you could even get promoted? That's what it is. It's growth and maturity. As Jesus talked about being made perfect in the spirit, because you see, it's just like good point by Sarah, if you're home and you are giving your parents some rent, but you know, in some ways you can be careless because, you know, mom and dad already pay the bills. So I can kind of fool around a little bit and I still got a place to live. But when you come of age and you're out on your own, now you got to trust God or whatever and, and be responsible with what you do because now it can hurt you. The further up you go up the mountain, the, the narrower the path gets. Why? And the more is at risk that's there. That's why the Bible tells you in Hebrews 6 with the anointing, man, once you have reached a certain point where, I mean, you know, the spirit of God is real to you. I mean, the powers of the world to come, everything done. If you should fall away, there remains no repentance for you at that point because you know God is real. Yeah. God's done all these things in your life. So for you to go back, man, you're finished. That's the whole point is like, because that, why do you think Lucifer didn't get a second chance? Why do you think Adam and Eve ended up being kicked out of the garden? Because they were God conscious. He used to come and see them every day. There was no reason for them to do what they did except their own pride that they said, you know what, let's, let's try and be our own gods. And that cost him. Adam could have just went to the Lord. Hey, Lord, what do you think of this? Instead, he hearkened unto his wife. And God didn't say, well, that's all right. We'll just clean up the mess and we'll work everything out. Yes, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. But for the meantime, you've got to get out of the garden. I've got to drive you out and put two cherubim there to make sure you don't come back in here. Because God's, if God is holy, guys, he can't be with something that is unholy. They don't run together. And there's nothing worse than God cutting you off and saying, you know, I'm going to take your anointing away and you're not going to be able to do what you used to do because you can't represent me like that. That's terrifying. Look at verse uh, four. It says, but the righteousness shall he judge the poor. Now I think I'm in verse three. It says, uh, and shall make him of quick understanding. You see the quickening? This is what the anointing does. It says, in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. You walk by faith and not by sight. Neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, because you wait for God's instruction, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity 
for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with a rod and, and with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. So as you can see, even with the anointing, Jesus is gonna come back for a cleanup job at the end of time. He came as the lamb, as the lamb, he's returning as the lion. But you see, when Jesus received his anointing, he wasn't acting like, you know, other people. You know, he was mm -hmm. on the job because he knew what he was supposed to be doing. And I want to bring up another uh, quick point. We are going to hear the David Wilkerson video. But, guys, I want to get these points out while there is time. Let's go to First um, Samuel chapter uh, 15. I've got a teaching coming up on this, too, that I keep pushing back. Matter of fact, don't even go there. Go to 1 Samuel 16. All right, 1 Samuel 16. But you guys remember, and uh, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 8 or 10, Saul became anointed as king, okay, over Israel. And Saul did so many different things at that point. He wasn't obeying the Lord. God told Saul to wait. Saul went. God told Saul to, um, to go, and Saul stayed. God told them in 1 Samuel 15, so I want all of my enemies annihilated and do not take back anything from their camp. And I want their king dead. What happens? And um, uh, Saul comes back with, you know, some uh, cattle and all that that he wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. God can't associate with that which is unrighteous. So what happened to Saul? He had his anointing taken away. And Saul said the reason why he obeyed I mean, he, he got his anointing taken and he didn't obey God. He said, because I feared the people. That's the other thing. When you have not the anointing, you will fear the people. You know why? Because you know God's not backing you. You don't have the faith to believe. But when you now let's look at 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to look at what the anointing is like, what God does. 1 Samuel 16, look at verse 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, some people could say, Would the Holy Ghost actually do this? Would he actually say, Hey, man, I'm not dealing with that right now. I'm going forward with what needs to be done. You better believe it because he does not have time to waste for vessels that will not go. That's why we begin to leak out because, you know, this is a constant move with the Lord. Yeah, uh, Christina. It says fill thine horn with oil. What does mm -hmm. the horn represent? Well, the horn is also what they use. It was like, you know, a horn full of oil and they would just take it and pour it over the person's head. So that's what he's talking about. It's like a vessel. Oh, okay. Like a vase. Yeah, pretty much. And that's what they would do with the horn. Fill the horn with the oil and pour it over the high priest's head or whomever, you know, was going to be anointed at that time. Remember what the woman did with her box of alabaster? Well, she put it on Jesus, and that was for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. She anointed him for his death, burial, and resurrection, which tells us something else about the anointing. It prepares you for your death, burial, and resurrection. <laughs> Great point. I, I'm glad you brought that up. So it says in verse 2, it says, And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hear it? He will kill me. 
And the Lord said, take and have her with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice and I will shew thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did what the, um, that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at the coming and said, comest thou peaceably? So these people feared Samuel. You know, hey man, you here to judge us or are you coming in peace? You see, that's a true prophet of God. Not sitting around telling everybody all the good things that they're gonna have. I mean, those men of God walk with God. Look at verse six. And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that they looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord anointed, the Lord's anointed uh, is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So, you know, Eliab is probably, you know, big, strong, handsome. And they think, man, this is definitely who the Lord is going to want. The Lord bypassed him because God is looking at the heart. He's not looking for your strength. What good would it for God to be to use a big, strong, tough, good-looking, intelligent person? How does God get the glory in that? You know, because that person, he's picking the best of the litter instead of picking the one that will need him. You think God needs bodyguards? You think he needs your strength? You think he needs your counsel? No. God wants a vessel prepared unto every good work. And you're only going to get that through obedience. So anyway, he says in uh, verse eight, thank you. Uh, then Jesse called Abinadab and made, him, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. <laughs> uh, then Jesse made Shema to pass by and he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. You guys see seven sons there? And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all of thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch for him, for uh, we will not sit down till he come hither. So notice after seven, eight is a kind of rebirth, but he picked the best of what he could, but then, you know, he's not looking for him. This is kind of symbolic too for Adam and Jesus, or what you would say, Jacob and Esau. The elder shall serve the younger. You see how he took the youngest, the one that wasn't even considered? Man, that's who God wants. So anyway, he says he took the youngest, uh, look at verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look on and goodly and goodly to look to, sorry. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day towards, I mean, that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. 
And after that, an evil spirit, it says, fell on Saul. Now let's skip to 1 Samuel 17. Just want to make a quick point here. Okay, we can skip right down to verse four because I want to make this point. Now they said there's a, in verse four, it says, and there went out, huh? First Samuel 17. Uh, I'll look at verse four. And it says, there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. I'm going to tell you something funny about that six cubits and a span the Lord gave me today. You see how Goliath didn't quite reach seven cubits? He was six cubits in a span because he was man and beast. This is a type of antichrist. This is a type of flesh. You never reach your full potential without the spirit. That's why a man's number is 666, you know, when he receives the mark. So it says in verse five, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was, the, was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out? to settle your battle in array. Am not I a Philistine and ye the servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. So this is how the ways that the enemy, he challenges us. When we want to be victorious, when we want to be free from sin, when we want to escape the world, we got big bad Goliath to deal with that is daring you to come over here. This is what the devil does. This is why when God may call someone who's anointed to ministry, you'll have a family member, wife or husband or somebody. What are we going to do if you leave? You can get killed over there. All these things can happen. You can't consider your life. You've got to go in accordance with what God says. So anyway, let me make the point. And then he says in verse nine, if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. This is exactly the way that the enemy works with us. If we don't subdue the flesh, if we won't allow the spirit of God through the anointing to break the yoke of the enemy, then there will be no coexisting. You're either going to be the servant of your sin and circumstances or you are going to rule over them having Christ as your head. And that's why we've got to set our affections above this because this is a prison planet. So he says in verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel. So what is he? A type of antichrist. This day, give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Why was uh, Saul afraid? His anointing was lifted. He's not the man that God called to go into battle. So he's afraid of Goliath right now. Then it says in um, verse 12, now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And a man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle 
and the name of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next was Abinadab, and the third Shema. And David was the youngest, and the third eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. So as you can see, the three elder sons followed Saul. Who were they following? You could pretty much say they're pastor. All right. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. They're following Saul. Their faith is in Saul. They are men of Saul. But David left Saul and went back to be about his father's business, feeding the sheep. You see how Moses fed the flock, but you see how the shepherds wanted to push those, those women away from the water. The people of God are going to support God's will. But Moses, but um, yeah, David's not following Saul. David's doing his father's business. So then it says, uh, where am I? And uh, am I in 16? Okay, so it says, and the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Now notice that the Philistine came and presented himself 40 days. What does this remind you of? Moses is 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus is 40 days in, um, in the wilderness. <laughs> You know, and I mean, if you look at the number 40, you know, this is a type of number for transformation. When a child is first uh, conceived, you got nine weeks, with, I mean, um, nine um, months, which is 40 weeks. Nine weeks, you be, man, what is that? But uh, you got 40 weeks in the womb for birth, for birthing, for the transformation period. So this Goliath presented himself 40 days. Who's going to accept the challenge? Nobody did. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of the parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp uh, to thy brethren and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. This is where David is a type of Jesus Christ because he was sent by his father to come and see how they fare, see how things are going, and when Jesus became 30 years of age, he took that pledge. All right. So anyway, let me make the point. And then it says um, in verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning like a type of Jesus Christ. Remember, rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of a keeper. Notice that the keeper is never named. Why? Because the keeper is a type of Holy Ghost. David's a type of Jesus Christ. So as you can see, you know, Jesus said, I would send you another comforter. So where are the people? in the hand of the comforter. I need to make the point though, verse 23. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine the, and of Goliath, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? 
surely to defy Israel. He is come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich with his great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. How does David now compare to Moses? The man, if you are to kill this Philistine that's stopping you from having all the goodness that God can give you, it makes clear here that um, he says that the king will enrich him with riches. This is what keeps us from receiving the anointing of God because we're not looking at the richness of God we're bound by the world. We're bound by the flesh. We're bound by the devil. So these are things that God wants to set them free from. And then not only will he get the riches of God, he says that he will give him his daughter. You see the same promise that Moses' dad, not Moses' dad, his wife's dad gave him his wife. I don't want to complicate this. I don't, but it's like when the Lord's showing you stuff. Look at verse six. And David spake to the men and stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So as you can see, the men without the anointing are terrified of Goliath. The guy with the anointing is saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, only the anointing is going to help us when this thing really comes to pass, when they threaten you on your job about whether or not you are for or against homosexuality. That's what it's going to come down to. Are you going to see who's talking to you as an uncircumcised Philistine? Or are you going to look at them like, well, I've got to bow to knee if I want to survive? That's what this is all about. But as you can see, David was anointed by God. And because of that, David saw the Philistine as some dog. They're all looking at this guy from, from judging six cubits in a stand. I mean, a span, he's like 10 and a half feet tall. But David is looking at him like, look at this uncircumcised Philistine. You see the perspective that God gives you. When God is for you, who can be against you? That's what the anointing is about. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's why we need it, guys. Look at verse 27. And the people answered him after the manner saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard uh, when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, what camest thou hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness, of thine heart, but thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You guys want to see a religious spirit? There it is. You see, they're all afraid of Goliath. None of them are going to make a move. David comes down with faith in God to serve God and to do what God says. And his own brother is sitting here telling him, angry with David, I know your pride and your naughtiness and you know who you think you are. That's a religious spirit. It's when you say, you know what? I trust God. I'm gonna go and do what the Lord says and I don't care. God is gonna be with me that day. And you watch, there's always a religious spirit in the midst to tell you, sounds like pride to me. You know what your problem is, you proud. That's of the devil because God wants us to show love. 
Man, this is a time of battle. Nobody got time for that garbage. You see, the same people with no guts to go out there and do it are the first people to tell you how to do it. It's time for them to get out of the way because the anointing is what breaks every yoke. Your biggest critics are those who sit there in the stands and cheer for a winning team, but they'll never get on the battlefield to do it. You know why? They got no anointing. They don't know God. So look at verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And there turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him against after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go up against this Philistine to fight him. For thou art but a youth, but he is a man of war from his youth. There you go again. The same king who should be out there fighting the other king is terrified. But now he's going to try and convince someone who's got total faith in God. Man, don't do that. That's too much pride. You can't beat him. He's been a man of war from his youth. And look at what David said. This is the anointing. David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And that's why I don't mind when younger people have zeal. That's bunch of that's better than being around a bunch of dead corpses, you know, that's just sitting there and trying, oh, amen, hallelujah. Man, when you gonna get busy for the Lord and do what the Lord says to do? Where's your anointing? So I don't mind when younger people are like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. You need the old man because he, he knows the way, but you need the young man because he is strong. You need a combination of that action to take place in the body of Christ. But a lot of older people are proud, you know, and a lot of young people are disrespectful. So, you know, you've got to put that in a place of, you know, having God's order to do God's will. So you guys know the story. David smote uh, Goliath, killed him, and Israel won that day because they had faith in the living God. I would like to go to another place, but I'll go there after. We need to hear this David Wilkerson um, video because I think it's going to be important. You guys heard enough of my mouth. I'm just trying to beat time here. We need the anointing, man. We need the anointing. Okay, I can just find it now. There we go. Uh, there we go. Here we go. I may have to turn it down. Take it. The cost of a fresh anointing, David Wilkerson. Pastor Clendenin, thank you for entrusting your pulpit 
to me tonight. This man I've heard about for many, many years. He was on television years ago. And uh, just a few minutes, I think Orr Roberts may have been on at the time and a real pioneer. And uh, everywhere I've gone around the world, I get asked, do you know Pastor Condenin? He, he has stirred the devil's nest all over the world. Modern Apostle Paul and uh, set an example. Brother Clendenin, not many of us left that don't have any better knowledge than to just trust God and uh, not college graduates, uh, not theologians, but just have enough guts and senseless random trust in God. A radical trust in God. I had no idea your ministry is so widespread, dear brother, and we want to support you, and I know uh, this is one of the great hidden secrets in missions. It's a hidden secret. Not too many in the States know about and should know about it, and uh, we pray that that'll happen. Pastor Conlon is my pastor, and uh, I, I was reading Philippians today, and I read something and said, there it is. I was thinking about Pastor Carter, and Paul said to the Philippian church, he said, I'm sending you Timothy, because I have no one else like-minded who will naturally care for you out of his nature. When I first heard this, in fact, the way he came to New York City, pastor a small church up in Canada. Uh, a former police officer of the Lord got a hold of his life and uh, at Times Square Church I was in probably the hardest time of my ministry overwhelmed and uh, <clears throat> I, I was driving my car said God you have to do something and the great prophet Leonard Ravenhill had given me two of his tapes a long time before and I had thrown in my car with a bunch of other tapes but on that day when I was crying out, the Lord said, uh, get those tapes. And by the way, I, I forgot, a day or so before, I had thrown all the tapes away, but those two from Pastor Carter. Some, not Pastor, or Leonard Ravenhill had given me, said, you need to hear this young man. And I, Lord said, get it, put it on. I heard one tape, and then I put on another. Halfway through, the Lord said, call him. I pulled off the car off the road there was a, a number on the tape and i called just Teresa answered and i said would you i'm um, this brother there so would you please ask us if he'd come and preach for me he did and when he got up to preach i said that's a god-touched man that's a man of god and our hearts were one and now he pastors a church i think about eight thousand or so and uh, four godly men raised up, or, or his, his wife is one, four godly preaching pastors. And uh, he's my pastor, and I help him as much as I can. But the last uh, five years I've been traveling at ministers' conferences. I'm not going to preach tonight. I'm one of the fathers. The Lord said, you don't have many fathers. And when I was a young preacher, I go to conferences, and I said, I wish... They were older men ago. So I wish they would tell me if they have any battles like I have. 
And I, I got to thinking, those men that have been used by God don't have problems. And I said, if I ever get a chance to preach the ministers, I'll, I'll bear my soul. That's what Paul did. He, he kept telling his story over and over again. If, Timothy must have gotten weary. I mean, it's shame how God touched his life and what he went through. Uh, the temptations he went through, uh, shipwreck, and all. He, he just told the story over and over again, even in prison and the pathos and all all they went through. And I have good reason to open it there in my heart because of what I read Paul the Apostle. I had four or five different messages uh, I thought I might preach. They were new messages. But it just didn't fit. When I came, I've been in all the services and sitting in the back. And the first night, uh, the Lord said, just uh, don't even think about a sermon. These are great preachers. Uh, Bury your heart. Heavenly Father, you have to help me. So that no self is glorified. But you would speak to hearts. Lord, if these are the days that we preach, they are. If we believe these are the days that we see the fulfillment of the coming of the Lord and judgment upon all that is unlike Christ, then, Father, we have to get serious. My God, will you speak? I, I ask for the touch of God, and I ask, Lord, that you speak. Don't let anyone leave without being moved. Lord, I believe there are many that came and say, I... I, I'm discouraged and I'm going to go hoping God will speak to me, hoping I will have a word. And you've done that, Lord. But again tonight, oh, Jesus, speak to me, sanctify me. Lord, I'm unworthy, but I thank you that you make us worthy to proclaim your word. Surely this treasure in earth and vessels. Now speak clearly, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. I just want to talk to you about the cost of a fresh anointing, the cost. I have no theological definition of the anointing. I really don't see any need to go in the Old Testament and tell you the roots of it and uh, what the anointing meant in the Old Testament, because I believe it's something different in the New Testament. Jesus said the Father anointed him to preach the gospel. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I know when I hear it. There's an old song about the anointing. It says, when you hear it, you'll know it. There's a weightiness to it. The, the, the man, the woman who is truly anointed of God never jokes when he handles the word. There's, there's a weightiness. I'm amazed and shocked. I don't know who started. I don't know where it's come from. But now it, it's even in the assemblies of God and, and the evangelicals to start every sermon with a joke. That's not the anointing. I'm not going to talk about what it means other than when I hear it, I know that it's a man or woman that's touched God. I know that I'm hearing something more than a man's heart. I know that somebody who's been through difficulties and temptations and trials has gotten to the throne. And when I hear it, I'm convicted. When I hear it, I'm moved. When I hear it, I know I'm driven to my knees. And there's such a weightiness about it. 
that I can't ignore it. I have to deal with it. I was called to preach when I was eight years old at a camp meeting. Now, some of you young men don't know what that is. We didn't have motels, hotels. We didn't have fast food restaurants. Christians got together and cleared some land and put up some tents and a tabernacle. And preachers would come in and preach. And it would be preaching all day and praying all day and half the night. And at eight years old, I went down to a camp meeting. My father was a preacher and grandfather, and I knelt, and the Lord called me for three, two, three hours. I was under the anointing, and I received a call to preach the gospel that I've never turned away from. I was a teenage preacher, but I pastored a church when I was a young man, 21 to 28 years of age. Uh, I'm sorry, 22 or 23 till I was 28. Little town in Pennsylvania, Phillipsburg. Uh, uh, preach to about 100 people and it was a Pentecostal church and I I was fired up and preaching Pentecost but about two years three years of it there was something that began to bother me preaching that we had a full gospel and nobody was getting saved I was preaching the same people They were satisfied if I married and buried and had fellowship with them and nothing changed. And there was something burning in my heart because at eight years old, he put a call to win souls in my heart. I I wanted to to reach out to a whole world, even as a a young preacher. And, And I said, this doesn't make sense. We claim to have the full gospel. We claim to have something the Baptists don't have and others. And we claim the full gospel. And yet they're out in the streets and we are not, we're sitting here and on the, about the fifth year of this, I said, I can't handle this anymore. I said, God, there has to be more because I would come home and just sit and watch a lot of television, like cowboy movies and watch television. But I said, Oh God, there has to be more. I can't live like this. If this is Pentecost, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with it. And the Lord said, do you mean that? And I said, yes. He said, all right, if you just give me the time that you spend watching television, give me equal time. In fact, I had to get rid of it because I didn't know how to handle it. And I began to pray. I began to seek God. And I got my Bible and I would go out in the woods. Our parsonage was on a hillside and up on the hill I would park. And I told my wife, was well, anybody come? They can blow the horn. I'll come out of the woods. And I had a tree there and I had my Bible and I began to just swallow the word. I began to absorb the word. It began to change me, it began to break me and melt me. You see, God does not give the anointing to lazy preachers, lazy Christians. He won't do it. There's a cost to the anointing. Describe it as you will. You'll know when you come to a place where God changes you, where you will never again be satisfied as long as you live without seeing God at work in you and walking with you. And you know that something's happening to you. And every time you speak. And the spirit of the Lord began to fall on me, began to break until there was a weeping and a brokenness. 
And the Lord said, start just walking the streets here in your little town. And I did. And God began to save a few souls. But I used to, I, I remember the anointing when it came. I'd go out in the woods and prophesy to the trees. Even when we had company, I used to fall on my face and just weep. And cry, God use me. I want to see a true Pentecost. I want to see God at work. Yeah. I went to church one Sunday and I, I couldn't stand up. I rolled under the seat. I thought it was a nervous breakdown at first because I couldn't stop trembling. I knew God was touching me. I went home. <clears throat> but that was the week. And I picked up a magazine, saw seven boys who indicted for murder in New York. And the Holy Spirit said, this is what this is all about. I've heard your cry. Now, I'm going to anoint you. He said, go. I, I went to meet those. I told about it in the cross and switch blade. And, and I, I went to try to get those boys, got thrown out of the trial. They said, as if God... Actually, my father was Assembly God, Assistant Superintendent, Eastern District, and my dad said, what did you do? And then others said, you shamed the Assemblies of God. I was dragged out of a courtroom. But I had seen trucks pull up, prison trucks pull up, and teenagers all chained together, coming out, going into the prison there. I said, oh, God. Who reads these? Folks, that was the beginning of Teen Challenge. But I remember the anointing. I, I remember I would go to places. I, I remember going to a youth camp. They asked me to speak. There was a famous evangelist, and they said it was a young man from New York. And I got up, and all I said was, you young people, and there were hundreds of young people, said, all I said was, you're living in sin. You're playing games here. You're really not serving God. You're here. You're playing games. You're making out. And I, I just backed away, and the glory came. I mean, the power of God just swept all those kids and, and changed the whole meeting. Nobody got to preach. It, it was not. There was something of anointing. I went to a Bible school, somebody's got Bible school, during that time, and it was death, absolute death. They just sat there, and, and there was a reputation for uh, such, you know, a fear of the Holy Spirit doing something evidently. And I just got up and I said, the dead praise not the Lord or they that go down into silence. And I said, you're dead. Get up and raise your hands. And the glory came. The Spirit of the Lord fell. I knew it wasn't me. I had to back off and just watch what God was doing. And everywhere I went, there was an anointing. There was something happening. Cross and Swiss Blade was written in the midst of that, all of those blessings. And I, I had to travel all of the United States, 
the, the promoters got a hold of it, Christian promoters, and I, I, I traveled for, I think, two months, national television, radio television, and it went around the world, and I became what some would call famous. And I traveled in youth crusades. I traveled in conferences, I got youth crusades, all of massive crusades, all the United States and around the world for five or six years. I traveled finally with two big half million dollar buses, band and massive meetings, but I start getting busy. Very busy building organization. But you see, that took me away from prayer. Took me away from the altar. Took me away from this word. And I re you see, I know what it's like to have the anointing. And I know when it's lifted. I know when I don't have it. I know when the death moves in. I know when I, you know, I, I've had young preachers tell me that have been successful, even in the Assemblies of God, some of the most famous. One of them in particular said, I know how to move a crowd. I know how to turn on the tears. I know how to move them. I know how to fall down. And folks, I got so busy. Some of you are here right now, and I'm, I'm speaking into your heart and into your spirit because you have become too busy. Or something has taken you away from the prayer closet, and now you go to the book just to get sermons. And now, God bless your heart, you meditate. But there's no hunger, there's no brokenness, there's no cry. When I go into the scriptures, I look at men that God has used, and there's always been a cry. Jeremiah said, I engaged my heart to seek the Lord. And you'll find that there was a cry. You see, Jesus said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And that flesh has to be brought under control. That flesh has to be dealt with. There can be no anointing until the, until the flesh is dealt with. You have to do that as your part. You can't wait for the Holy Spirit to do that. The Holy Spirit waits for you. He said, your flesh... Otherwise, you're going to sleep at Judgment Day. You're going to be asleep when God has decided to move by his spirit all over the world. And he needs you. He needs me. But he won't do it until we pay that price. All I've known since I was a child, young preacher, all my father and grandfather preached was pray and read your Bible. There was nothing complicated about it. Get shut in with God. Seek the face of God. I've known no other way. I've gone through all the Puritan books. I have Puritans. I began to study and read books, and I got away from this book. You can get so involved in studying how to understand the Bible that you can get away from the Word of God. I remember what it was like to stand before crowds and be dead. I stood, and when, when, when you get away from that, when you get in the flesh, when you get satisfied, Everything goes out of divine order. Your home goes out of divine order. My home went out of divine order. There, my staff disorder. Everywhere I turned was a disorder. And I knew it. I knew it in my heart. And I knew that I was drifting. But I got caught up. 
You say, how does that relate to me? I've never been famous. I've never, I, I, I would never face that kind of battle. But we all come to a time where we have to make a decision. You settle down. And you pay your bills. And you get a house. And you get a car. And then you wind up like the pastor that came to me in Africa two weeks ago, pastored one of the largest churches in the nation. And he came to my table while I was eating, and he stands there just broken. He said, Brother Dave, I've got 5,000 people, and I've been playing games with God for seven years now. He said, I don't know him. I've just been satisfied because... People are there and everything's well. And I drive a Mercedes and everything's fine. But he said, I'm dead inside. Words to that effect. There is nothing worse that I can think of for a man of God or a woman of God than to lose the anointing of God and be dead and have the knowledge that something is wrong. It was in the middle of that time. I remember the, the last days of that terrible time the anointing had lifted and I was going through the motions still preaching to crowds and after I preached go back in a room and say God I can't go anymore like this this is not the anointing this is not what I knew how did I get away and how do I get back I was known around the world as a man of God. And yet growing lukewarm and cold in my heart. That every kind of temptation out of hell. The devil saying, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill your minister. I'm taking you down. I was in the middle of that, or coming to the end of that period, and I was out in Long Island in the arena, 5,000 people. And they had gathered up young people from all over Long Island. Pastors and youth pastors had brought them in, and I didn't know. You see, when you don't have this touch, this anointing, and if you are not shut in with God, and you're not serious about the things of God, and you're happy with the status quo, or, or, or you, you, you have this inner struggle, how do I get back? How do I get this anointing? How, how do I? Are you even asking these questions? Or are you even concerned? Are, are, are you sitting here tonight and asking? Are, are you examining your heart like I had to do? It's not enough to be called. I'm still called. God still loved me. He bore with me. Such patience. And I got up that night and I missed God completely. I preached on marriage. My marriage at the time was being tested. I got up. It was the deadest thing I've ever done. And I went back. I knew it. I got back on my private bus. And here come the young preachers. Brother Dave, what's wrong with you? We got young people we brought in here. They're drug addicts and all these. And you preached on marriage. You miss God. I finally got so angry. I shut 
the door of my bus and said, I don't want to talk to anybody. It was shortly after that when I went home. I was, I was ready to quit. Not the ministry, but not that phase of it. And I remember so clearly saying, God, I, I, there was one meeting I couldn't cancel. I said, I'll go to this. Before we left the campus at our home base in East Texas, Brother Ravenhill came, great prophet of God. He handed me a book this thick, 1,200 pages, Christian in Complete Armor by Puritan, written 300 years ago. He said, God told me to give this to you. Read it now. I got on my bus, went back to my private room, threw it on the couch, said, who, can, who wants to read a dead man 300 years ago, 1,200 pages? I just threw it on my so discouraged. And uh, I went 20 miles down the road. And Lord said, go back in your room and read it. I didn't go 20 pages till I was stricken. Totally stricken by the Holy Spirit. And I said, God, I don't know you. I don't know you. The word began to tug and pull at my heart. You know, sometimes I think I'm too vulnerable. I sometimes feel that I should not bear my soul like this. You see, this is the last time. There won't be many meetings like this and not be many times that God's able to speak so clearly to us and convict and I don't care the cost anymore. I'm 75 and I have nothing left to prove to anybody. Nothing. I want the anointing. I shut my ministry down for a year. Now you can't do that. Now baby, shut it down, but you can't shut yourself down. You can deal with your own self. And I got back to seeking the face of God. I got back into the word of God and put my books aside and all, all the Puritans and all the theology books because I, I thought I didn't have Bible school education. I need to get educated. That's fine. I still, there are times that after I've completed my study of the word that I, I refer to these dear men of God. But the Holy Spirit came back, healed my marriage, healed my step. Healed my ministry, healed my soul, and the, the anointing came back. Now that's been over 25 years. And 20, 20 years ago, I got this desperation again. You know, when, when the Holy Spirit's about to move on you and call you to a special anointing, he'll stir your nest. Some of you have been stirred, having your nest stirred even this week. But I went back to the streets of New York and began to preach. And I was there for the summer. And we were staying in a hotel. 
the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and said, this, 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 I was so shocked when I got back to New York City how degenerated it had become in the time I was, I was gone. And how wicked. They, they were on 42nd Street selling heroin, a new kind of heroin, far stronger than anything. And at that time, Lynn Bias, a basketball player, had died of an overdose of heroin. And they were advertising heroin like this. Hey, I've got this stuff that killed Lynn Bias. Now, death was the ultimate high. You take this, it'll kill you. It was the ultimate high. And I broke down. And I, I remember on 42nd Street and Broadway, I began to just weep, broken before the Lord. Now, folks, the Lord had given me back my anointing. And I, I knew he was working in a very special way. But he was stirring my heart. I, I, I think that all true ministry comes out of intimacy. I say it again, all true ministry knowing it comes out of intimacy with Christ. But I said, God, will you raise up a church here? I'll help finance it. I'll preach in it. I even called th that next week my friend Jim Simbler at Brooklyn Tabernacle. I said, Jim, I want to see you. We started walking the streets. I told him about what God was speaking to our heart. And, and we went to 14th Street. And I said, there's a nice theater there. Maybe that's it. And, and uh, I, I said, Jim, do you, do you want to take this on and help support? And uh, he said, I've got my hands full. And I prayed, God, raise something up here. Right in Times Square as a witness. Lord said, you do it. You know the city. I went back to Texas. And I got on my knees and said, Lord, the forces of hell have never been stronger than they are in New York City right now. And you asked me to raise up a church in Times Square. I said, I'm going to need a special anointing. And I remember again saying, God, do it once again in my heart. I need a greater anointing than I had when I began when I was a young man. I need much greater anointing now. I need something I've never touched before. I need you to break me again. I need you to do something. You say, well, I, I know men that have lived all that. I've never had to go through what you're going through, Brother Dave, but you sometimes God takes a man and makes a laboratory out of him and it takes him, makes him a, a, a laboratory and allows him to go through these tests where the fire is, is so strong and going through things that so many people go through to, so that we can stand and, and the things, the victories we want to share with you and do what I'm doing tonight. I would much rather just preach a sermon to you. This is a very humbling thing to do. I went home and I spent the next three to five months on my face back because the Lord said, you know, the cost, you know, what it's going to take seek in my face. Ezra set his heart to seek the face of God. Nehemiah, he hears a destruction happened in Jerusalem. 
And the Bible says he was overcome with grief. And he set his heart to seek God. He set his heart. You'll find it all through the Old Testament. He set his heart. The church is there. And my dear pastor here, here tonight has been called to carry on that burden. And this man is anointed and pastor condemned his an anointed man. You're seeing and hearing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for that. But you see, I'm 75 years old now. I still have a heart for Times Square Church, but I just came from Africa and Nairobi, and I spent time in one of the biggest slums in the world outside of Nairobi, a million, 200,000 people in a slum, no water, no electricity, and open sewage everywhere. And I was in the hovels in the little tin shacks with mothers with five children sitting on the floor water pouring on both sides and she's collecting little sugar packs that people the restaurants throw away on the dump in a nearby dump and she's breaking those down in, in dirty water serving her children sugar water five children look like little little doggies skinny frail and then i stand out said God, one more time, once again, I have to have an anointing. I don't want what you gave me when I was 20 to 30 years of age. I don't want what you gave me 20 years ago. Thank you for that. But I'm moving on. And I can't do it unless you give me a special compassion unless you come and touch me once again and the Lord spoke to my heart again he said you know the cost David you know it because you're going to have to make up a mind when you get in your 50s or 60s or you're just going to retire and you're going to take it easy see God can't allow anybody to retire anymore from the ministry if you've ever been touched, you've ever been anointed of God, you don't have time. You've got you've got to say, God, use me. I don't care. I don't care where you send me. I don't care where you want me to go, but I'm not going out. There's my spirit drained. I'm not going out a dry stick. I want the anointing. I want the touch of God. All right, so the rest of that video will be in the description box. It's already in there, so you guys can check it out when you have time. But we got to move quickly because there's a couple of points I still want to make concerning this, how we get the anointing. I know that the video was good, that it brought a lot of information. But there's a few things that the Lord was showing me also concerning this, so let's move quickly. I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 17, and let's begin at verse 7. Now, remember, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not yet I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul says, I travail with you in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Paul also says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So this is all about us 
having Jesus Christ in the middle of us and working through us, okay? It's about Jesus Christ making his abode in us that he can work through us. So let's look at 1 Kings 17. This will give us an example of what we need to have the anointing in your spare time. Look at 1 Kings 19. Elijah received his anointing after he ran from Jezebel. And he began to get to the end of himself. He had called down fire in the previous chapter. But as you can see, that anointing wasn't enough. He needed to seek deeper. You see what David Wilkerson did? He didn't seek the same anointing because that journey from, the, um, from Egypt unto the promised land is the type of journey that you and I are supposed to be walking. But so many Christians are comfortable today. They want to stay right where they are. But you'll find in most cases, that's not the call that God wants for you. So anyway, it, um, this is 1 Kings 17. Look at verse 7. He says, and it came to pass a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, arise, get thee, get thee to Zarephath, uh, which belongeth to Zidon that dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman uh, there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering the sticks and she called uh, to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So this woman comes to Elijah and recognizes, hey, Sister Tara, he recognizes that, I mean, she recognizes her need because she sees Elijah. Look at verse 11. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread for thine hand or in thine hand. So what is Elijah here? Is he being unreasonable? This woman doesn't have much. He's over her house. She barely has anything for herself. So it says, and she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat and die. Okay, so now you understand that this woman is concerned for her and her son. This is what most people would do, all right? But I just wanna tell you ahead of time, Elijah is a type of Jesus Christ, okay? So let's pay attention to that. Verse 13 says, and Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do that thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake First and bring it unto me, and after make and after uh, make for thee and for thy son. But thus saith the Lord God of Israel: The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Don't let this shoe by us because first Jesus Christ needs to be fed and then he can meet every need that you have. A lot of people don't like it this way because they're carnal. You see, and this is how we can get about our business and not get about the Lord's business. That's a big mistake because we're only here to glorify God. But how many times have you heard 
the Lord about to do something or asking you to do something for him. And you look at your finances, you look at your family. I can't do it. I can't go. I may not be able to have enough for me and you. You don't understand. When you get into Christ, he's paid your debt. Okay, so all you've got to do is lay it all on him for these things to be made. This is a huge part of the anointing. You've got to forsake things in your own life and give all things to Christ. And you see, their cup ran over. They ate many days because God saw to it that their supply would not run dry. The same way with the spirit. And it says, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house fell sick and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, what have, what have I to do with thee, O man of God? Thou art come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son. And she said, and he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of the, out of her bosom and carried him up uh, into a loft, a loft and uh, where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God. So what is Elijah right now? An intercessor. This is how Jesus Christ comes before the father for you and I. So he says, O Lord, my God, uh, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and carried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come in him, into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came to him again and he revived. If you take care of God, God will take care of you. Now, what if she only thought of her and her son? They didn't have enough to make it long anyway. The son was gonna fall sick at some point, but you see the investment was in Elijah, the man of God. The investment is in Jesus Christ. When we give it to him, he takes care of every need, but we think of feeding self first and forgetting about God. And that's where the mistakes are made. Look at John 17. I promise you, I didn't plan all these 17s. They just came up. John 17 and look at verse nine. John 17 and nine, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through my own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So what does Jesus desire? That we may be one with him. Look at verse 12. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, that thou, uh, those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That's Judas Iscariot. Verse 13 says, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the world had hated them 
because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. The Lord showed me this just yesterday. Look at the word, the evil. This is G4190. That word is full of labors, annoyances, hardships, pressed and harassed by labors, bringing toils, annoyances, perils of a time full of peril to Christian faith and steadfastness, causing pain and trouble bad of a bad nature or condition in a physical sense, diseased or blind in an ethical sense, evil or wicked or bad. But as you can see, what he's talking about is these things are annoyances. You know what it's like when you're at a barbecue trying to eat and you got that constant net flying around you trying to get on your food? Can you enjoy your meal as much as you want? You know what it's like when you're trying to get in prayer and your kids are kicking and screaming and making all kinds of noise around the house? You know what it is when you know you're not close to the Lord and you want to enjoy him, but yet you've got to go through with your daily schedule, your nine to five. These are those annoyances and things that he's speaking of. He says to keep them from it. I, I'm not telling anybody to quit their job. I'm making the point that we even know by going through daily life, it's hard to serve God the way that we want to because our heart's with him, but the world demands so much of us. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, verse 16 says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Even, I mean, as, the, as thou hast sent me into the world, even uh, so have I also sent them into the world. So as Jesus went into the world, his disciples were supposed to follow after him. Verse 19 says, and for their sakes, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So as you can see, Jesus lived a selfless life, sanctifying himself so that he could be a vessel fit unto every good work. We can't talk about that we don't like that, you know, homeless people are out there suffering, people don't have. We can't talk about, oh, this person's on drugs and this and that. I love my family, I want them to get saved. I want all these things to happen. When Jesus says, I sanctify myself so that I may sanctify others. And you sanctify yourself and we get away from the things that are not of God. The Bible says that God hears the prayers of the righteous, but you've got to want to be sanctified. The anointing is gonna fall on those who want to be sanctified. Why? Because it's for the will of God. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to, to heal the broken heart, to, to set the captives free. Lord knows I'm, I'm misquoting it, but you get the point. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You've got to have a heart to want to win a soul. If you're getting an anointing for your own pride or to show people that you know God, you're in the wrong place. You have to have a grievance in your heart that you want a soul saved. And that's what the anointing will do. You can't just sit down and cool out at a barbecue and have a good time. You can't just go on vacation and enjoy the things that you want to do. I'm not saying you can't have these things, guys, but when the, when the spirit of God is on you, your concern is about what God wants and what your brethren wants. And when it comes upon you, you're not the same. People are like, man, why are you so doom and gloom? Why don't you just sit down, chill out? 
I can't just chill out. People are going to hell. But you've got to love your neighbor that way. And that's what this is about, man, concerning the Lord. Um, last scripture I'm going to go to. Now, read Acts 4 in your spare time and uh, verse 11, where it talked about that, you remember, they got in trouble for preaching the gospel. They were going to be thrown in prison. And they warned the disciples because they healed that man at the gate called Beautiful. Don't you talk about Jesus anymore. We're going to lock you up. We just want to make sure you understand this. And Peter said, I fear God, not man. All right. But then after that, they took the trouble back to the disciples. Matter of fact, let's go there. I'm sorry, guys. I got it. I got to show you this. Christina giving me the eye over there. Oh, they're in there. <laughs> All right. She's looking at me like, right, I got to go there, guys. I know we're a little lengthy tonight, but these points need to be made. So Acts 4, look at verse 11. He says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, but there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So as you can see, if you spend time with Jesus, you invest in him, you're going to be like him. When you look for your own boldness, you're going to make a fool of yourself and you're going to open your mouth at the worst time ever, or you're going to be standing there and nothing will be done. You've got to have Christ in you to walk in that boldness to speak the truth. Look at verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it, but when, excuse me, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? But that indeed is no is a notable miracle that uh, been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and, can, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they uh, speak henceforth to no man in, the, in his name or in this name. So what did they want to do? The same thing they want to do today, silence Jesus. They don't want him mentioning it. So look at verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. But we cannot but speak the things which, have, which we have seen and heard. So you see how they're a lot like Jesus right now? They're speaking, Jesus said, I can only say what my father says. And this is exactly how the disciples are treating Jesus. Verse 21, I think that's where I am. He says, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. But all men glorified God for that which was done. But the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing shewed. The man was about 40 years old, you know, on whom this miracle shewed. 40 is that number for transformation. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. 
And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, all the things that in them is. Uh, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? That's Psalm two, verse 26 says, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That word for Christ that would be in the Hebrew would be his anointed. You see, the heathen will always rage against the anointed. You know why? They go against the status quo. So look at verse 27, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, uh, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So you had the religious system and the governmental system that was against Jesus. He says, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before uh, to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant us thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So they didn't ask to run from the situation. They dealt with Goliath that was standing right in front of them. So they wanted to speak with boldness. So they asked the Lord for it. And then it says um, in verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Did I, did I pass a point? I think it's 31. And it says, and when they had prayed, uh, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and there were all, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So as you can see, Acts the second chapter wasn't the only time you receive the spirit and get filled. You've got to stay filled in the Lord. And you see how everybody underneath them didn't lack. Every man didn't worry about himself. He cared about his neighbor because that's how God governs his church, that none would lack and all will be filled. But we can't have this unless we have the anointing. John 7, and I'm done, guys. John chapter 7, and I am done. Let's look at verse 30. Now, you know, this is when Jesus was preaching at the supper, telling people what was what, and look at, we'll pick it up in verse 30. It says, then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Let me tell you another thing about an anointing. People couldn't move you if they wanted to. They couldn't fire you if they wanted to. Sarah and I dealt with that before. We got caught up with some lawsuit, some stupid mess on the job because we were preaching Jesus and leading people to Christ and preaching to um, people that were new and telling them about the Lord Jesus. We wanted souls saved. So what did they do? Attempt to sue us and get rid of us. And through the suit and everything we endured, the Lord kept us right there. They couldn't move us if they wanted to. When the Lord decided for ministry to grow and for things to go further, he moved us. Sorry, should have cut that off. <laughs> 
But anyway, the point he's making is, is that they were all together in the Lord. Okay, so anyway, look at verse 31. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these, which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. So we got to stop taking things for granted and follow the Lord wherever he goes. Because you see, the Lord freed a lot of us from Egypt. He opened the door and he crossed the Red Sea and some of us didn't go. Or some of us went with him in the wilderness, but found ourselves the journey too hard. So we stayed where we were. Some of us crossed the Jordan River, went into the promised land, saw the milk and honey and said, you know what? We'd rather set up camp back in the wilderness. So we crossed back across the Jordan and we're camped out there. So anyway, he says in 35, then said the Jews among themselves, whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this, that he said, ye shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am thither, ye cannot come. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Guys, it's just that simple. I love the way that David Wilkerson said it. He said, I was always taught to be shut in with the Lord, okay, in prayer and with my Bible. I know of no other way. If we really desire the Lord, we've got to train our flesh to follow the Lord. Like the Bible says, you know, them who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Are we thirsty? Do we want what the Lord has for us? Because like David says, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so does my soul after thee, O Lord. That's how we should be. We should desire him in ways more than the things that we got. You know that feeling you get when you're about to get paid? You know that feeling you get when you're in love? You know that feeling you get when you get a promotion? or when a child is born, that's the kind of joy you should have in desiring Jesus Christ to do things in your life. You see, we claim we love the Lord, but look how many things we put over him. Look at verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, does it say he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water? Does it say that there? No, it says, he that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. You can't believe in the Jesus that you want to believe in. You can't believe in the anointing that you think that you want. You've got to obey God to have God. Because he says some people will come with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. They'll go after what they think Jesus is and not the Jesus of the Bible. If we want rivers of living water to flow out of us, then we've got to get to that place of believing on Jesus Christ as the scriptures have said. So I just want to tell people out there, that's the lesson for tonight. 
You know, don't forsake your prayer closet because you need it. You got something, Sarah, or no? Okay, so don't forsake your prayer closet because that's what's necessary in staying connected to the Lord that we may grow and have our cups overflow, that we may dart towards our purpose with the anointing and become fruitful to do what the Lord says. Because without him, we can do absolutely nothing. So that's the lesson for tonight, guys. You know, I love you all. I'm just uh, thinking um, we should just pray out right now. I know I held you guys long enough, but you see how at one point, this would have been average for us in Bible study. You see how since we shut it down, the flesh got to get used to it again? It's amazing. That's why Pastor Price will have his people in there five hours, you know, <laughs> but they are well endured to be able to deal with, you know, hearing the word of God. All right, so let's pray out. Any volunteers? All right, Sister Sarah's going to pray us out. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I want to come to you this evening. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this time, Lord. I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for the opportunities that you've given us, Lord, before things just really tip off, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. But Lord, you're not giving us these times to just sit around and, and to do nothing, Lord, because you've already been said that we are not to frustrate the grace of God. Yes, Lord. But Lord, I pray that Everyone that could hear this teaching tonight, Lord Jesus Christ, that you truly do take it to heart, Lord God, that you want us to be anointed. Yes, Lord. Your church, Lord Jesus Christ, is not about some religious setting, Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about some religious practices that are done once a week, Lord Jesus. Your church is supposed to be those body of believers, Lord God, that are yes, called Lord. out to go and to do your will, Lord Jesus Christ, in your work. With a sincere heart, Lord Jesus Christ, to be followers after you, to be, Lord, just as you are, Lord Jesus. And it's going to go against the status quo today, Lord Jesus. It's going to go against many churches that are out there today who have been bound by religion, Lord, that have been bound by a certain way. But, Lord, we are broken free from that because we can truly see what your word says, Lord God. And I'm praying that we're going to do it. I'm praying, Lord God, that we're going to give up all those ways, Lord Jesus Christ, that we came from, Lord, the lies that. So many people have believed today, Lord Jesus, that you have to do things a certain way. Lord, if it doesn't go according to what your scripture says, then it's wrong, Lord. There are many hirelings that are in the church today leading people to hell, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm praying, Lord God, set their minds free so they can believe in you as your word says, Lord Jesus Christ. That we repent, Lord God, of the things that we've done, Lord Jesus Christ. If we're playing games with you in our life, Lord God, that we stop tonight, that we get on fire from you. For you, Lord Jesus Christ, to do your will, Lord God. But it has to start today, Lord. It has to start with a pure heart, Lord Jesus Christ. It has to start in that individual relationship that we have with you, Lord God. Salvation is not a group setting. It's an individual affair with you, Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It's just the beginning, Lord. It is a continuous process, Lord Jesus Christ. We should always be looking, Lord God that others truly be saved with every opportunity that you give us, Lord. We can't pray for opportunities and not go forward, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I know I've had that in my own life, Lord Jesus Christ. Says, forgive me, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm praying, Lord God, that we confess it unto you in our own lives, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, wherever, we're, wherever we are at, we start today afresh and new with you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Because we're living in the last days, Lord God. 
And it's only going to get worse from here. Yes, Lord. For your coming to go to, to actually happen, Lord, for you for you to come back, Lord, the, the scriptures have to be fulfilled. Yes, Lord. So I pray, Lord God, that with the time that we have left, Lord Jesus Christ, that we're going to do your will, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Thank you, Lord. For your blessings, thank you for your mercy, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. And I also pray tonight, Lord God, in Jesus' name, for, for Sister Tara's sister, Lord. Yes, you are Lord. the great physician. That you touch her body tonight, Lord God, that she be killed in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. In Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for tonight, guys. I just want to tell people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways. Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you for what you have done against him and, and believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and that his shed blood can wash you clean. Get baptized, get into God's word, live a life for Jesus Christ and believe that he's coming back for a bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. So I just want to say that, you know, give your life to the Lord while there's still time because tomorrow's not promised. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Guys, do not forsake your prayer closets. This is no time to go without communion with the Lord. To Sister Tara, Brother Jimmy, Sister Christine, Brother Jake, Brother Kev, I just wanna say if I've missed anyone, it's been a long night. So I love you all until next time. Have a good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.